Recording straight out of Five Scotland, you're listening to the Films and Swearing, a movie podcast with your hosts Stuart Sutherland and Magic Mike Christie. Hey. That'll do. I worked a little better last week. Yes. Uh, aye. Were you being the phones there at the end? Aye. Yeah, a wee bit. Ah, you're stealing my thunder. I'm usually the one with the thumbs out every time I seem to, like, oh, bonus. I, I'm doing this as if it's like a visual medium we're recording on. Yeah. But no, nobody could see me wangling my thumbs about. Uh, so yes, you are listening to episode 169 of the Films and Swear and Movie podcast. Today we are into part four of our Scorsese season. We're in the knots. Alright. Yep. Today we're going to be talking about The Aviator from 2004 and The Departed from 2006. Ah, but before all that, we'll be talking about, I guess, Scorsese's, Scorsese's career in the knots. Yeah. And when we're looking at it just as feature films, it's quite a, a light decade. Very, very Leo DiCaprio-ish. Yes. And I mean, it's hard not to win the fact that he's only done three films. Gangs of New York in 2002. Yeah. Aviator in 2004. Departed in 2006. Lord. He done, there was about ten credits, but there's a TV documentary, Aye. normal documentary, short film, a TV movie, and things like that. But when you're clicking, like, IMDB didn't have a lot of information on them when I went to go Aye. in. He done like a, I think he done a short film for, it was like a a New York City concert. It was more or less, uh, like maybe like a fundraiser from for nine eleven, mm. and had a lot of music acts. And he done a bit for that, and then just other documentary stuff. Uh, but when it comes to feature films, three. Uh, I suppose maybe he was looking at that point uh, maybe winding a wee bit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I mean, he probably would have been. Late fifties, early sixties, maybe pushing around that time. Yeah. Now, just before we started doing this season, we mentioned it was his, it was like a big, significant birthday at the end of last year for him. Was he going on seventy or something? Seventy, like. wasn't it? I was going to yeah. say seventy-five, but I think that was John Carpenter. No, uh, no, no, no. He's just turned seventy as uh, well. I think it was. I feel like it was Toby Hooper or uh, maybe or like a horror director turned 75 you're like Christ uh, that's not any good to anyone when you don't know who the fuck you're talking about but uh, right again to the films let's go right I will go first tonight as Aviator was the first one released uh, 2004 directed Martin Scorsese it stars now wait for it Leonardo DiCaprio as Howard Hughes, Kate Blanchett as Catherine Hepburn, Kate Beckinsale as Ava Gardner, John C. Riley as Noah Dietrich, Alec Baldwin as Juan Trippi, uh, Alan Alda as Senator Ralph Owen Brewster, Ian Holmes as Professor Fitz, Danny Houston as Jack Fry, Gwen, Gwen, Gwen Stefani as Jean Harlow, Jude Law as Errol Flynn, Adam Scott as John Mayer, Willem Dafoe shows up. So, other bunch of famous cunts. Obviously, and a dog shows up in this fucking film. Hi. Uh, it is about... Well, 
a biopic depicting the early years of legendary director and aviator Howard Hughes, his career from the 1920s through to the mid-40s. Huh. That's the plot. So, did he, like, die LH? No. Nah. Kind of? Nah. made it right through to his 70s. Uh. And, um, aye, like, that alone, Disney really sell the film. Aye. Like, they're saying, right, this this director, an aviator, you have 20 years of his life. Let's, that premise, in exchange for three hours of your life. Yeah. Like, Is it three hours? It's an hour, 42 hours, 43 minutes. All right. So... I might be 47, but I think when I looked at it last night, it was like six minutes end credit, so it wasn't ah. really the full whack, but like that's a large chunk of change. Yeah. Like, that that's that could be something like two films in one, almost. So when you just hear like 20 years of this boy's life, like, fuck, I hope it's interesting. This, ah. is, a, this is a lot of time. And obviously this is a first watch for me. Yeah. The whole reason I, I chose it, because fuck it, let's what better time to watch it when you're doing Scorsese season. Yeah. And it's actually a really fascinating film. Um, obviously, the whole fucking thing is on like Leo DiCaprio's shoulders. Uh, like It's all about him. And I mean, of course, he is still really baby-faced in this. Uh, like, he still just looks like fucking Jack for Titanic. fucking Titanic hanging off the side of the door in the water. Uh, um, but he does, it's, it's hard... He steals the film. Uh, it's his. It's the film is obviously nearly three hours long. It's on his shoulders throughout the whole thing. But fuck, his character Howard Hughes is fascinating. I mean, now like, but now I've seen it. No wonder they wanted to make a film about this boy's life. Uh, I've had to like break down several bullet points just to explain why this film's so interesting. Uh, I mean, the list of them is like director, aviator, uh, philanthropist. Like it's. What they say when you look at the trivia, they they kept mentioning he's the inspiration for like behind Tony Stark. Like this is what inspired Stan Lee to make uh, like a, this famous inventor who also fucking loved the ladies and loved the drink. And they said the same about fucking Bruce Wayne. Like when Christopher Nolan was doing his uh, Dark Knight trilogy, this is how he wanted Christian Bale to be. He's like a philanthropist who enjoyed a drink and he was uh, always working on something, trying to make things better and. So, this guy is obviously like a, I guess, an icon uh, in, like, and an influence to a lot of people in pop culture. But, aye, it's. The way Scorsese does it is just brilliant. And the fucking supporting cast around it, like Adam Scott, dude for Parks and Rec, and. Uh, was it Little Evil, the film he's just done on Netflix? Uh, I can't remember what he else. Was, he, was in, he was the brother and stepbrothers, eh? Yes, he was all exactly. Brother, I. I, him and John C. Riley are fucking outstanding in this. John C. Riley, especially, like he plays it straight. He's like the the money man to Howard Hughes, and Howard seems to have like when the film starts, he's in his I think early twenties, and uh. he's filming the movie Hell's Angels, which seems to have like a lot of like uh, sequences like with his obsession with aviation. It's dog fights in the sky and he's wanting all these cameras up there and he's wanting all this, that, and the next thing. And they were wondering how the fuck he's financing it. But uh. I think they made jokes saying that his parents uh, got money from oil 
And he was like, no, we made our money out of drill bits. Uh. And obviously his parents died, so he's inherited the business. So he's got John C. Riley running the business for him to make sure they're getting the money coming in so he could focus on his film production. And he was also financing uh, aviation, trying to make planes, make uh. faster planes, uh, smoother planes, and just he, he was obsessed. And that becomes a big thing about it because he has clearly like uh, OCD. Uh. He's got he has some fucking horrible obsessive compulsive disorders where he ha- he only washes his hands with a certain bar of soap which he carries around in his pocket and like a little bocky tin. Uh. So anytime he needs to wash his hand, takes a little tin out, takes the soap, it washes his hand about a hundred times. Does that every fucking finger, puts the soap back, wipes it down with a towel, throws away every towel you'll touch. And it's just like a small thing at first, but it just ticks, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh. The problems, so it's just fucking crazy. Like the amount of money he spends producing his films, like it starts in the opening credits, just saying like year one, he's doing all this and he's all happy. And he doesn't like something, so he changes it, and then it cuts to year two, and fucking John C. Riley's like, we're losing so much fucking money, and like they're waiting for clouds, because when they're project, like, when they're watching the dailies, like it looks like toy models on screen rather than natural planes he's bought, and they're uh. all flying around in the sky. And says, you need something to justify it. You need clouds in the background to see how fast the planes are moving. So he hires like a meteorologist and like, right, fucking find me some clouds. And it's Ian Holmes. He's the guy fucking looking for the clouds for him. And he's like, what? No. And he's like, well, production stops until there's fucking clouds in the sky. And it's like, one year later and all these going mental saying, we're losing money. We're fucking paying thousands of people just to sit in their arse and wait for clouds to show up. And it's also a time where uh, Scorsese's like his him playing about with CGI like uh, obviously in the knots we're getting some new like better CGI but like a lot of the sequences with like the, the planes in the sky like they're filming up there and there's all these dog fights going on so there's a lot of CGI planes uh, and it doesn't look bad it, it, it's like Sharknado graphics nowadays uh, like if you've seen the efforts they do Every fucking year. That's sort of like what Scorsese was playing with back fucking about 15 years ago. Aye. And, I mean, it's 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 impressive. And, he, like, again, Hank Scorsese is one of those directors. He's got a vision. And you had images of, like, Howard Hughes on a plane with a fucking wee handheld camera filming all the dog fights. And he loves it. And they have everything ready. Film's about to come out. Then, like, the jazz singer comes out. And this is like the start of films talking, like the, the talkies and all this, and there's a sound. It's like, right, no, we need to fucking go back, reshoot parts, and we need to start recording sound and put a soundtrack into the film. And it's like, but that'll cost millions. It's like, fuck it, do it, get back. And it goes, and another year, it's like four years later, the film finally comes out in cinemas. He watches it, and Aubrey's celebrating the rap party, and fucking Howard Hughes comes out and goes, nah. I do like this scene, do like that scene, that runs for too long. Get the editors, get them back in the studio. We're recutting this film tonight. And he just, he was obsessed with his films. Um, he was the director behind the original Scarface. All right. And there's another one he does in the film, Cried the Outlaw. And they describe it as a western with sex in it. And he gets pulled up by like the ratings boards. And there's just all these kinds of saying, no, you're going to have to cut the scenes that like. The woman's cleavage is too big in this scene. 
uh. and they're just giving them shit saying we're not going to release it with that like with those the size of those fucking tits that's no uh. and it's him and his meteorologist and they've got 10 <clears throat> canvases covered canvases behind them and he says right I think you've got a problem against me like I'm this young guy I've got a lot of money I'm experimental with my filmmaking you obviously didn't like it and he says no it's purely just because the lassie is showing too much too much cleavage uh. and he said right go on, and they, they pull off all the sheets off these canvases and it's the cleavage of this actress cleavage of that actress and it's like 10 different lassies and it's just just their chests nothing else and it's like all taken off of like movie posters or scenes from films. It's like these are ten films you authorized. These are the cleavages of ten women. And it gets the meteorologist to go up and measure the size of the cleavage on each woman. <laughs> it's like you okayed all of them. They are bigger than what I have got in my film. Like you are holding it personally against me. And the guy just does the kid what to say. It's like you've what the fuck are you done like <laughs> you've got me yeah. I and the fucking like the meteorologist like, I'm here to study clouds and you want me to measure tits <laughs> it's like holy things like that must be real like, why else would that be in the film uh, but um, I mean let's see I reckon, do you want me to go more into the, the aviation side well like, obviously listen to him like making his films I take it like like the fucking like the times on the set during like his film must have been absolute chaos. Eh? Aye, like he'd be over budget. Uh, the times <laughs> are going over, and he was he was never doing one thing. He'd be fucking either away on a, an airfield, fucking doing things about planes, saying like spending weeks just to find what's the right handle for like the pilot, and and most of the time he makes himself the fucking pilot. He breaks like land speed records flying around the world he broke world records by flying around the world in four days uh. and doing all this fucking crazy shit and it's like whilst directing fucking films so a lot of it the films take like a back seat and uh. then you just kind of get little updates about them as they go on yeah. like after hell's angels that's what all kind of starts with then that kind of just all falls the background as he's making this he's making that and i mean He's sitting talking to guys about we need to do this and he's like, well, the airline, like, it's great that you want to do that, but the airline, there's a lot of red tape, we can't do this, we can't do that. I said, right, I'll buy your airline then. That solves the problem. Then I own it and then there's no red tape. The guy's like, but that'll be, that's like 15 million. He's like, the fucking John C. Rally on the phone's like, find 15 million and pay this man. <laughs> He's like, where the fuck am I going to find it? That's not pay- that's not paid cash, Howard. What the fuck are you on about? It's like, find the money. Puts the phone down. And it just, it just has this carefree attitude where it's like, there's money somewhere. And there is. Because I reckon, what the fuck? He just mortgages everything and just uh. gambles it. And it pays off and he makes his money back. But the, the OCD parts... Like, I think it obviously they get worse as the fun goes on. Aye, he gets because that's the stress of things going on. World War Two starts happening, so the government approach him about coming up with like wanting him to make planes to help them combat like in the war, and he gets like a big order. So the government pay him fucking like fifty two million dollars to create X amount of planes, and then he was trying to come up with like a stealth, not stealth bomber, but like a something like a reconnaissance ship uh, and a lot of stuff all falls through 
I think maybe it would be best to tell you about my best scene in the uh. film. Um, he crashes planes in this film on two occasions. Uh. The first time he kind of has like a touch and go land, like it, it runs out and he's falling, but he manages to get the wheels and just dun 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 on, and lands in a beet field and makes it and everything's all right. But as when he goes out, he creates uh, what is known now as an XF-11 reconnaissance aircraft. And he's that fucking giddy about making it. Like, it's ready. He's like, right, I'm going to fly it. And he goes out, takes off. It's brawl. He's going over Beverly Hills. Cuts to like an hour and 45 minutes later. And all the crew on the ground are like, how do you need to get in? You're going to be on fumes. You need, like, And Howard's like, ah, oh, no, no, 10 minutes. I'm fine, I'm fine. He's like, no, man, you... Get back now because you're just gonna fucking crack. Like, you're gonna be, you're, you're pushing it too far. And he's like, yeah. right, fair enough. Gets ready to start coming back, and one of the fucking engines just blows. Like, and it, it's like a panic. Like, you're like, oh fuck. And he's, like, it just drops. It's no, like, gliding. And he's fucking, like, sitting shouting. And there's like, air, there's pile on the station saying, what about this? What about that? Check the dials. And he's like, nope, yep, yep, we're fucked. It's, it's just going down. And he's trying to pull up and just, trying to aim for, like, a golf course in Beverly Hills. And he's just not going to make it because he's going down so fucking fast. And as he goes to try and pull up last minute, he gets the wheels out. And he's over folks' houses now. And it cuts the shots of people in their house and it's like an earthquake's going on because this huge fucking plane's flying over their house. And as it gets lower, it starts fucking tearing the roofs off of houses. Like, the wheels rips up all the, all the slates... And then just the wing just fucking more or less just cuts the top off of someone's fucking house. Huh. And it just, things are breaking. He's sending telephone poles. And it cuts the shots like inside the cockpit. And it just shows you Leo being fucking thrown around, headbutting the windy, fucking headbutting the dashboard, bursting his nose, fucking things blowing up, the engine catching fire. And it goes in and just fucking just hits the ground, blows up. And he's fucking trying to bash to get out. But. Since there's fire and the heat going on, he fucking burns the skin in his hands on like the glass, uh, um, like the cockpit, the uh, shell of the cockpit. Yeah. And he manages to get out, and it, he's fucking covered in flames. He's rolling about on the ground, and like a marine just passing by, fucking manages to grab him, pull him aside, and he's all fucking burnt. And he's like, "I'm Howard Hughes, the aviator." And like, I guess just in case he died, so they knew who the fuck he was. But honestly, when it cuts to like a doctor in the next scene, just saying, right, he's crushed his collarbone, multiple ribs fractured, uh, he's crushed his chest, he's collapsed the lung, he's shifted his heart from the left side of his chest to the right side of his chest. Like, he's absolute fucking scrambled. Uh-huh. Like, and through all that time, that's when, what can I say, about 70, 70% of his skin is third degree burns. And by the time he's recovered from all this, because he somehow fucking lives, uh. like, the Second World War's over. So all their contracts are defunct. Like, all the planes have ordered the belt and they want some new. And airlines fucking going doing hell. Like, it looks like he's going to go bankrupt. And, again, he's fucking head to toe in fucking bandages. But he just sits staring at fruit flies at the windy. And he just unsettled, just think it's not clean. And he's just sitting scratching his leg, like the, the OCD thing's coming out, and he only drinks fresh orange juice. And he only drink the orange juice if there's a man preparing it in front of him, and then the man's wearing gloves, cutting the oranges in front of him, squeezing the oranges in front of him, uh-huh. just so he knows exactly it's not being tampered with. <laughs> and he just, he gets so fucking paranoid, 
like the fucking the, the philanthropy like him fucking he gets uh, Ava Gardner who's uh, that lassie for the underworld movies Kate Beckinsale aye aye he bugs her house because he just doesn't, he wants to ken what she's doing all the time aye. and she like discovers one of the bugs and starts fucking hitting the shit like takes off her shoes and starts fucking hitting him in the face with it and says, I'm sorry I'll get him to take all the bugs out like what do you mean all the bugs and he says well that just, that just want to know if you're okay then what's that I want to know where you are so are you listening to my phone calls Howard it's like no I read the transcripts it's like, and she's like, "What?" And he says, he mentions like, there's, "He's got like a dozen bugs in her house." He's uh. like, "That boy's troubled." But he he gets like obsessed. He thinks people's coming after him. And as the film plays it, it does. It gives you the impression that there is people following him. But he becomes like a hermit after the accident, and he just lives in like a screening room in his production studio, like where he just sits and watches his dailies. He just stays uh. there, and gets to the point where he's got long nails, like long, long fingernails, scraggly hair, a beard, just stopped wearing clays, and he's just sitting on a couch, and he's just got all these empty milk bottles because he's obsessed with, like, drinking milk. And the detail, like, is a total OCD thing. It's like, pick up the milk bottle with my left hand, take off the cap with my right hand, put the cap in my right pocket. I'll drink the milk holding it with my left hand. I'll put the empty bottle down and I'll do this. Uh. And then he talks about, and he's recording instructions on how he likes his food to be served. He says, I like to have a sandwich. And he talks about it, like having sandwich served at a 45 degree angle uh-huh. in a paper bag with a bag held open. And I will reach in with my hand and I will take the sandwich. And he's just passing his instructions back and this is how his meals will be served to him. If it's not done that way, he's still going to eat the food. But if I'm drinking all this fucking milk, like he has the jars and cuts the layer, he's just sitting pissing in the jar and he puts it in and there's about 20 jars of piss just lying <laughs> alongside the hall and he just, he's like, oh my God, he's just, ah, he's just this hermit. He's just like living there for a stretch of the time. He just, I guess he just feels like he's in quarantine. He's just safe uh. in his wee room, just sitting smoking fags and, no, he doesn't smoke fags. Um, there's, and the fact that he's got all these horrible problems, people that didn't like him, fuck with him. Uh, Alan Alda plays like a senator uh, who's kind of in with a rival airline, like Pan Am Air, who is owned by uh, Alec Baldwin's character. All right. And they keep butting heads because Howard Hughes has his airline. And he's and Pan Am Air is on the verge of like some of it, going across the seas. They're going to be doing Europe, Mexico, all these things. And Howard Hughes is wanting to beat him. He's wanting to get there first. Then one, like he's they're fucking having shouting matches that you can't own the skies. So they have a meeting, but Howard will stay in his screening room. He'll no come out. So he just tells him, just take a chair outside. So it just there's a locked door, and there's a keyhole, and they're talking through the keyhole. So Alec Baldwin's just sitting there and just lights a his like smoking pipe, and he's just sitting blowing smoke through the keyhole. And Howard's on the other side just fucking cringing because he just sees smoke coming into the room. He's like, oh. And he's sitting fucking picking at his scarves just because the thought of smoke coming in. Huh. And when they first show you, they're just thinking, right, it just, you just blow the smoke and it's just going through. But the next time he does it, Alec Baldwin's deliberately blowing into the keyhole just fucking trying to just wind him up because he kins he's got OCD. And when he has a meeting with Alan Alda, like they have dinner together and they purposely serve him this rank food and 
he gives him this fine glass tumbler, but before he comes in, he presses his thumbprint on his, like the glass. So when they're sitting down to dinner, he serves them water, and Howard's turning the glass around. He sees the thumbprint, and he just starts scratching his leg, and it's like his dander goes up, and it's just like they're doing all these wee things just to fuck with him because he's uh. got OCD. And it's the same when I was saying about his meals. There's this one scene where he meets, he goes to his favorite restaurant, gets his favorite meal, which is just like a medium rest steak and 12 peas all lined out in rows of four put on a plate for him and Jude Law's character Errol Flynn is like, oh how are you doing and comes over and just reaches across grabs a couple of peas off his plate and just like spoils to four rows and he just puts his cutlery in and just just walks to the restaurant he just it's like you just spoil it I can't touch it it's just it's not clean it's not clean I'm out so he's fucking like harassed by all these things and uh, the only part I feel he contradicts it is when he gets fucking dirty with women. Like, there's this uh, fucking cocktail waitress at the start, and he just puts his face, like, gives the impression he puts his hand up her skirt. Uh, and he's like, Do you feel my fingertips? Like, I want to know what pleasures you. And he's just getting really, like, uh, fucking, like, I want to know what makes you tick. And he's like, I'll give you my room number. And she's like, I'll see you there. He's like, Wait a second, you're talking about being unclean. You're shoving hands up skirts. And then. I mean, he dates. Uh, I wonder actually, Kate Beckinsale might be someone else. Ava Gardner. No. There's a lassie cried Domergu, which maybe it's like fucking Daisy, uh. but they, it's spelled Domergu, but it's pronounced different. It's like a French name. Uh. I think the G is maybe silent in it. And he sees her and he gets to take off her lipstick and he asks her, Do you have any scars on your body? And he's like, No. What age are you? 15. He's like, Right, you'll do. And like you're my girlfriend now. He's like, wait a second, that's Lassie's fifteen. And he sends he sends cards to go pick her up and do like make sure he goes to school, and then takes her and she goes for like like lessons afterwards, and then picks up, drives her back to the film studio where he'll put her in films. Uh, and it's just like it was flavor of the month, and he leaves her, and then he goes with Ava Gardner, and it cuts to this shot later where she fucking shows up in a car trying to drive him off the road just because she realizes he's used her and she's gone now. Uh, it's it's weird. Like there's a lot there's a lot going on in this film that's on for three hours, uh, and it really it fucking held my attention. Like all the stuff with the OCD and paranoia really fucking. If it was just about the aviation and the filmmaking and the philanthropy, it might have not been enough. I think just the fact that uh, it was riddled with like these these disorders and paranoia really kind of gave it that edge. This made it that more interesting. Uh, he has this great scene where he goes like he's he. He's getting stressed, everything, like, whether the aviation, the film studios, and people getting, it's all getting on top of him, and he's in, like, a restaurant bathroom, and he's washing his hands with his bar soap, and he's properly in his hands, in his hands, and he does something, he just fucking breaks the skin on one of his fingers, and blood starts pissing out, and obviously he just wants it clean, so he keeps trying to wash the blood away, and the blood keeps coming out, and he grabs hand towels, and he's wiping his fingers, and he gets a spot of blood on his shirt, so he takes his shirt, and he's leaning into the sink, soaking the shirt, Working with the soap, washing the blood off, tucking it all in, getting ready. And he realises he's used all the hand towels in the bathroom. Like, this is the day where it is just actual folded towels, it's not paper towels. Uh. So he's used them all to clean up all the blood, clean his shirt, clean his hands. And he realises the door's shut, and he's looking at the door handle, and he freezes, like, I can't touch the door handle. I've got bare hands. Everybody's touched that fucking door handle, I can't touch it. And all the towels, once he's used it and binned it, he'll never go near it again. Huh. He's looking at the, all the bins, all the towels in the bin. And he's just looking at the door and he's like, fuck, 
fuck what I do and he's having a fucking absolute meltdown he's just like he's about in tears and he's just lying against the wall and he's just having like this wee panic attack which just and then just some other guy walks in to use the toilet and just fucking runs at the door when it's been opened uh. so like all that stuff is just fucking just overly fascinating to me just how uh. fucking bad this guy was and it is he puts on a fucking brave face when he goes out with everyone else like he acts normally shakes off the hands claps on the shoulders and after he has this fucking accident, he's got a walking stick. But when he goes to the meetings with like uh, the senator, he left his walking stick in the hall. He was the limping. As soon as he leaves the room, he's fucking got a bad leg and he's fucking falling over the place. And around the corner in the corridor, it's just his walking stick lying there, and he just grabs it and he's on the fucking ground shaking. And it just, it just so he doesn't look weak to all his fucking competitors. Uh-huh. And the ending, more or less, what I need to tell you now is. Him getting to fly this Bruce Goose, like the Hercules, uh. the fact that it's all over, he says, Right, I'm just going to do it. And he takes off, manages to successfully fly it. And as I mean, it's a thing so big when they're taking it to to water, they have to cut all the power cables down just so it could, it will no pull them down when it goes past because the shit, the fucking plane is so big. The wings, it's like when they're being, building fucking all the wind turbines, like how big those, the scale uh. is of those when they're on the roads. That's what it was like to take the wings of the Hercules and then the body of it, then build it on the water. So when they manage to successfully like do a lap, fly around, they're all having this big celebrating party. And this is where Howard started talking about it was like the future's in jets. We need to start looking about making like jet fighters. Like this is we need to like forget about the party, let's get back to the fucking office and start planning our next thing. This is what the money is into. And they're all the and he's talking to, like, John C. Riley and his pal Otto, like, his, the, the boy with the planes. And he just sees folk, like, just in white gloves, just looking at him, like, as if they were, like, servants to, like, catering and stuff. But they're just really well-dressed with these white gloves, and they're all just looking at Howard. And he's like, and his paranoia's getting up, and he's looking at John C. Riley, and he's like, do, who are those? Do those guys work for me? And John C. Riley just looks at him and like, like, everybody works for you, Mr. Hughes. He's like, like, that's... It's like a total like Twilight Zone total feel to it, where it's just like Invasion of Body Snatchers. Like, there's uh. all these people in white gloves that come to get him, and he looks to his best pal for advice, and his pal just soon's off his stoic, like he's a fucking robot, just saying, everybody works for you. And he's like, it's like he just starts panicking and just walks out. And he gets caught again in, like, his paranoia loop and just keeps saying, like, jets the way of the future, way of the future, way of the future. And he just starts having a panic attack. And I think it's in his head, like, the way uh, John C. Riley spoke to him because John C. Riley is panicking. Like, he's trying to, like, don't let anyone see Howard like this. And if I can take him through to a wee bathroom, get him to close the door, and he's just looking in the mirror just saying, way of the future, way of the future, way of the future. And he repeats it five times, and the film just cuts. Like... So he just continued to live like that. Uh, but I think he had something like kidney failure or something in the 70s. Uh, but by that point, he did make jets and he'd done this, done that. Uh, and he was just flying back and forward all the time. But aye, it was, it's a fucking really fascinating wee film. Uh, I mean, rewatchability, I would totally watch this again. Like, if Margaret showed an interest in it and I didn't have to pay to watch it, uh, like, if it comes back on Netflix or, like, now TV like uh, if it became on demand I would totally like watch this again yeah. just to see her reaction at all the fucking crazy like 
all the shit that Leonardo DiCaprio has to go through. Mm. And then just the scene where he fucking crashes the plane in Beverly Hills. The way Aye. they filmed that was brilliant. So I'd just be more interested just to see what other people thought of it. Aye. Let's have a look at trivia. Martin Scorsese designed each year in the film to look just the way colour film would have looked in that time period. I mean, there was one scene where he crashed in a beet field and whilst all the vegetation should looked green, it kind of looked like a tinny blue. Uh. And this was him uh, digitally enhanced the colours in post-production. Uh, Scorsese recreated the looks of Cinecolor and two-strip Technicolor. And it was the way that, I guess, it was done in the theories. Like, that's is how they were doing things in colour um, back in the day, 30s, uh, 40s. And it, they, they reference scenes like when he was eating the steak with the peas. The peas are discoloured. They look more like a like a light blue colour than green. But that's just how this uh, two-strip technicolour thing was back in the uh, day. That's how they had colour back then. But it says as the film progresses, uh, the colour technology kind of changes. So the film, the colours of the film get better as the film goes on. Uh. The film was made uh, on a budget of $110 million. Yeah. So worldwide, it has, we've got both domestic and foreign figures. So worldwide. I reckon it probably made about 200. Bang on. Uh, well, 213. So, uh. Domestically, it put, picked up $102 million. Mm. And foreign market, 111 So, 213 uh. isn't it that bad. Like, whilst I think maybe domestically they'd look at it as a flop since it kind of fell with under the budget. But uh. overall, it made its money. Won Oscars, like, uh. it, it, it's a thumbs up. Now, for a one-star review... I'm going to send it to you, Michael. I'll let you read it back to our audience. It, it, it kind of plays on a couple of like the old chestnuts you get with one-star reviews. Ah, uh, right. There you are. Go and read that to our audience. And remember, tell us the name of the reviewer. So this uh, reviewer is called Gravy. Alright, just gravy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the way we like it, just gravy. <laughs> and he goes on to write, this film was, at the time I saw it, the worst film I had ever seen in the cinema. It doesn't get any better upon repeat viewing. Overlong, slow, pretentious, bloated, boring are all the accurate descriptions of the plot. And despite some good acting performances, I have to warn you that all this is a waste of three hours of your life. Avoid like the plague. I'd give it a negative star if one existed. Aye. Cheers, gravy. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, they always like to pull out that I would give it zero stars, but it won't let me. Yeah. And the same with I'd rather have root canal done. Camden. Uh. Wee bit sensitive there. Now, I Mike, I believe it is your turn. Go and tell me about the departed. So, Departed is from director Martin Scorsese uh, from the year 1919. No, wrong decade. Uh, 2006. And it stars, where's my notes? Uh, Leo DiCaprio as Billy Costigan, 
Matt Damon as Colin Sullivan, Jack Nicholson as Frank Costello, Mark Wahlberg as Sergeant Dignam, Martin Sheen as Captain Queenan, Alec Baldwin as Ellerby, and Ray Winston as Frenchie. A lot of big fucking names, eh? Yeah, yeah, a lot of big names in this. A plot of the pirate is an undercover state trooper tries to identify a mole working for the Boston police while infiltrating the Irish mob. Simple as that. Aye. Mm-hmm. Was it our first time watch, Mike? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, this is my favourite Scorsese film. Aye. Aye. I think I've never seen Infernal Affairs. Right. I think you tried to get me to watch them, but I just never really got around to watching it. Yeah. Because this is obviously the remake I, of Infernal Affairs. I, I, I think it was maybe three, see, there's six or three years prior aye. to it. And yeah. They went a step further. They turned into a whole fucking aye, the trilogy. trilogy. Yeah, aye. Like, one of my first notes in the film is the use of the soundtrack. Aye. Like, Scorsese's got a. a a, a wee repertoire of hanging like soundtracks and films like say Goodfellas fucking mm. I can't remember much of the soundtrack for Raging Bull but like Goodfellas Casino mm-hmm. um, this and like, the soundtrack in uh, Wolf Wall Street was like really good as well aye, aye. I, I think I was like looking through all the listing of the soundtrack and I, I think there's at least half a dozen songs on the soundtrack that I quite liked and I think I've actually got it on my Spotify Aye. But, um, like, the man continuously uses the Rolling Stones Aye. in a lot of his films. I mean, he also directed that documentary about Aye. them, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only soundtrack, <clears throat> only song from that soundtrack I can remember is, like, Dropkick Murphy's. Aye, that's like the, That's, I feel like that's one of the prominent like, songs. Aye, it's like the opening, it's like the, during like the opening credits, but show up 20 minutes into the film, which is a weird, <laughs> a weird thing. Aye. Is this, does that come in at the point after they've both been in, uh, infiltrated to each other's uh, once aye, now in the police uh, force and once now in the, the mob? Aye, they start playing that when uh, Leo goes into like, prison and all that. Aye, so when the film really begins. Yeah. Aye. But, um, I mean, I like soundtracks fucking like, really good. I mean, there's like, like Nas, um, I think. I think there's two or three Rolling Stone tracks on this that's actually quite good. Because... Pretty sure he used a Rolling Stone track in Mean Streets as well. All right. When I think it was the f- first scene where Robert De Niro walks in the club. Mm. I can't remember, can't remember what song it was they were playing. It's fine. <clears throat> but um, my other point of this film was the cat and mouse elements. Aye. Of it are fucking brilliant. Like the way they worked out. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, the I think they try to they try to make the film to be about uh, Jack Nicholson's like character, Franco Costello and that. Mm-hmm. But it's the cat and mouse elements that fucking make it so much better. Aye, because well, that's it. Like it, it's doubled because you've got people on both sides, and Aye. I always remember is there something to do with like a like a like a national security number on an envelope. Or aye, aye, it's like um, there's an envelope that's got like folks' numbers in it and stuff, aye. aye. And because that's a lot of it now, I, I can't help but think back to what what was in Infernal Affairs because 
to be honest, I think I have seen The Departed only once. Uh. Like when it came out. Or maybe when I was able to download it back in the day. Uh. So my um, my thoughts are, my memories yeah. are vague. Um, I mean, like, with the Catmouse elements, it shows you, it shows you fucking, like, uh, Leo DiCaprio's side, like, he's obviously, like, the policeman undercover, and he's at the point where he doesn't want to date anymore. Mm-hmm. He wants out. Uh, he, he kins how deep he's in, he kins that if he gets found out, he's going to get fucking done. And he desperately, desperately wants it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I think Matt Damon's character kind of controls everything between him and uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. Because like, Jack Nicholson's obviously like the mob boss. Aye. But I think the way he like comes across in the film, like during some scenes, <clears throat> like Matt Damon's the one that's actually running the show because obviously he's the one that's like texting him Aye. like all the wee bits of saying, look, there's cameras in this area, you can't be here, like turn off your phones. Mm-hmm. Or like or like you'll phone you'll phone Jack Nicholson if there's gonna be somebody coming in and it'll be like, Oh, mum, I'm not gonna be home for supper. That's like code word for like can you get the fuck out. Aye. Like they're coming here. But um like like the Carmen, like the Carmen's kinda of really picks up after um, they discover that there's a a mole in the police force and there's a rat in the the mob. Aye. And the two of them basically try to figure out find each other. Mm-hmm. And it's the scene where he's Leo's following Matt Damon to the cinema. Ah, yes. Because he's meeting Frank Costello with that wee envelope. Aye, aye. With all the social, all the social security numbers. And like he's, he goes into the cinema and it's like a fucking like a, a late night cinema with like porn on. Right. <clears throat> he's like sitting with his baseball cap on and like this, this guy in a big overcoat kind of walks there with like a I think what type of like hats. But he starts like making all these like weird fucking noises and then it's like and then like Jack Nicholson just pulls out a black dildo. Fuck. And, and like the like the, the noise effect they put in it as well is almost like seventies porn sort of thing. Right. And it's the look. Like, yeah, it's the look on uh, Jack Nicholson's face that's fucking brilliant eh? <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think I think it's kind of played for laughs a wee bit aye <clears throat> and like like Damon's like came up the fuck like almost fucking like shot you mm-hmm. and uh, and like he calls him Collie instead of Collie and stuff but um and then when they leave the cinema uh, the two of them basically when he's like when the Capo's tailing Because they're Damon. both there, aren't they? Aye. Aye. Uh, when, when he's tailing Damon with that envelope, mm-hmm. somebody fucking texts the Capo and his phone goes off. So they immediately run to like, the nearest cover. Aye. So like, Matt Damon's got like a wee fucking knife and it plays like wee footsteps. And it just happens to be a pair of fucking China man. Oh. They get a sitting in the gut with a knife. Eh? Fuck's sake. <laughs> And, uh, Aye, I I remember that scene. Is that for is the, there, the I exact it, I same? It, I think there is a lot of comparisons in there as well. They're pretty much identical. Like <coughs> I think the only difference is the endings. I think there's different endings to it. Is there? Um, or the, how the endings play out. But they have the same scene where they exchange an envelope in the cinema. There, there's there's no black dildos in the original one. It's just a straightforward swap. Uh. And when they're leaving, a phone rings, and they both fucking panic. And they just fucking shoot it opposite directions. I don't think anyone gets killed, but 
Like, the only difference is it's Chinese people and it's probably a lot less swearing. Because uh, imagine this film's fucking rife with swearing. Aye, yeah. And, I mean, actually thinking to it, what a actual catch to get fucking Jack Nicholson in a Scorsese film, because I don't think that's ever happened, has it? Nah. 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 Like, just this, they like, have fucking Jack Nicholson and... Uh, and, uh, and it's all, uh, it's Nicholson played a, playing a baddie as well. Ah. Which is fucking brilliant. Because I didn't, mm. I didn't think he really... I think of films he'd done prior to this where he played a bad the only one I can vaguely remember is did he role play like almost like a bad guy in like that uh, A Few Good Men where it's, it. like, it's like the military courtroom thing never seen it I mean other than the Joker <clears throat> aye yeah aye joke like, like I'm trying can, to think does he relish it as much as like, obviously he plays it over the top in, in Batman but um, what's he like? Is he quite reserved? Well, he can't be he's, reserved. He pulled out a fucking black aye, cock. Um, he's well. That's like one of my notes. Like, like he's wet. Aye. He's wet in the film's fucking like, like unparalleled. It's brilliant. Eh? Like there's a a scene where um, he's in a diner with Leo DiCaprio mm-hmm. and Ray Winston, and he uh, he goes over to a table with two priests. Right. And he starts talking about sucking up wee boys. <laughs> Like in front of the two priests and all that, and there's like a, 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 I think there was a nun that was at the table before that was at the toilet. Aye. And the two, the two of them can who he is and they can what he's all about and stuff. Aye. <coughs> and then he like leaves like a drawing on the table of like fucking like a wee boy getting raped or something by a priest. Fuck's and sake. I just just as when the nun comes back and all Aye. that. But the way. It's the younger priest that's looking at, it and the nun comes back and like takes it off him, looks at him, and just like shakes her head at him. Aye, and like he's, it's just the way he goes about, like like the opening, like he's like opening monologues, like really good. Right, it's him kind of younger when he meets a uh, Matt Damon character, mm-hmm. and he's like he's got a thing for like really young lassies and all that because like he's, I think his wife in this film is younger than him. Aye, and. He's a. Uh, he starts like, cause he's like, he plays like an Irish character. He starts singing in Irish, and his wife fucking can't stand it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think he's wet, and it is really good. And like, it's. I thought he's like the sound effects of when he gets shot towards the end. The noises he makes reminds me of when he played the Joker. Right. What like he's almost deflating. Aye. Aye. Yeah. Aye, I get what you mean. Where he is, he's just, he's dead, but there's like a, a groan or a croak. Aye. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought, uh, I generally think that like, Jack Nicholson played like a really, like, really solid bad guy in this. Mm-hmm. But I think, obviously, the way it's played out, the main bad guy is obviously Matt Damon. Aye. Which I think was a really good, a really good turn for Matt Damon. Does he start that way? Yeah. You, uh, like, as it goes on, you realise it's... Aye. He's like the because he's obviously like because he's with. like he's like, he's in he's in the police force and he's trying to do right and all that, but then because he's obviously associated with like also part of the police force and again, but because he knows like Franco Stella grown up and stuff, mm-hmm. he then obviously fucking he rises through the ranks really quickly. He's made like sergeant in his first like year or something, and like they talk about like uh, during like the exams and how he like. These like fucking test results are like fucking through the roof and all that, and he's like really smart. 
But I think I think he's probably that smart because he's obviously got the leadership and the guidance. Aye. Now, like Costello. With Jack Nicholson being sort of like your leader in the mob, what's the... The police side of it? Aye. Well, I'm trying to think because the only two people in the police force that can that the Capros undercover is Martin Sheen's character and mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg. Right. And, like, Mark Wahlberg's, like, just, like, cocky, and he's got his, like, Boston accent and all that. And Aye. He's quite, like, quick, like, quick fired and, like, quick tempered and all that. Aye. Um, whereas, like, Martin Sheen's a bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think he... I think he knew... Uh, Leader Cap was like family when he was growing up. Okay. And they weren't uh, wanting him to be like a policeman. Right, right. I, I didn't know why. But, mm-hmm. um, but the person that's leading uh, Matt Damon's uh, Alec Baldwin. I was going to say, Al- where does Alec Baldwin I didn't know his actual like, position in the police world, but he's just like, he's known on IMDb as Ellerby. Right. And he's. Also been trying to nail fucking Frank still for years. Right, right. And just kind of get through, but obviously that's because of Matt Damon. Aye. When they find out that there that there's a an undercover policeman in the mob. Yeah. Like Ellaby clashes with fucking Mark Wahlberg and like Martin Sheen and stuff. Aye, aye. And uh, there's like a scene where they go to like a, a Chinese gun deal. Right. And there's like obviously cameras, but obviously like Matt Damon will take some like saying look can there's cameras here, turn your phones off. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they go to like a blind spot. Right. And fucking this is where I think this is where you see Alec Bowman completely lose it. He goes like the guy that set up the cameras, he's like, Can like who set up the cameras? He's like, I mean he's like, Come here and he like just picks them up. And just actually fucking smacks him in front of everybody like in the billboards there. Aye. And just starts going mental on him saying that you should shoot him now and that. Fuck, I need to get I need to watch this film again, like I'll get a lent, that's good. Aye, um, aye. Now favourite scene? Um I think my f- best scene in the film was probably the um scene where DiCaprio was tailing Matt Damon like to the cinema and then like aye. through it. It's just the like the tension, because obviously you couldn't eventually they're going to clash. Like, find, like, they're going to find each other out. Aye. And it's like, it's a bit where obviously the uh, no DiCaprio, Damon's hiding with the knife and you hear the fits out. You can't, it's obviously no DiCaprio. Aye. You can't, it's just some pair fucking pair of Aye. But, um, and that's probably the best in the film. Eh? Aye. But I mean, like, like Scorsese's direction in the film is like, really good as well. And like, the, I think choosing Boston's probably a Something he's not really done before because mm-hmm. it's mainly all like, like New York or. Mm-hmm. Did done Los Angeles? Both. Nah, Wall Street's fucking. I'm not too sure of my geography and Deacon. Because he's obviously used to doing like, like gangster films. Aye. It's mainly like New York and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. like, even though when I was reading the notes in the like, trailer, he didn't actually, I didn't think he filmed all of it in Boston. Right. Aye. I think a lot of it was like filmed in like, a lot of it was actually filmed in New York but made to look like Boston. Aye, aye. But, um, like you had like all the be Irish pubs and, mm-hmm. um, all the be like Irish, like be Irish shops and all that. Uh, right, so with, obviously there's a lot of fucking big names in it. Who, who steals it? 
Ma- Matt Damon, eh? Aye. Matt Damon's fucking brilliant in this. And it's, I think, seeing him, I think, this is maybe the only form you'd really see him playing a, like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how does he play it? I remember Andy Lau <clears throat> in the original was almost robotic, like kind of like emotionalist, like quite stoic. He was, he didn't seem to show any remorse for what he was doing. Like, as things were getting worse and people were dying, didn't phase him whatsoever. Now, Matt Damon's always either, is he calm or is he fucking mental? Um, he's, he's not really, like, mental. He's Because, obviously, he's like the policeman, he's got to be kind of, like, calm. Because, like, Aye. when you see him and he's, like, rising through the ranks and then he um, starts dating, like, a police psychiatrist or something. Mm-hmm. And like, like, oh, so that's like the softer side to him. Also, she doesn't care that he's working for like the mob and stuff. Aye. And she happens to be assigned to be uh, Lee DiCaprio's psychiatrist. Right. Aye. Aye. And, uh, and I, I think that's maybe the only weak bit of the film. Right. Was like the kind of it's almost like a love triangle sort of thing. Yeah. But um. That, I, that's in the fucking original as well. Is just it? as you're saying, it just. Rem- it just all fucking coming back to me. Aye. Um, but um, like also like Matt Damon's character, um, because he's obviously trying his hardest not to get found out. But um, he, I think does he actually really? He doesn't really kill anybody in the form apart from Jack Nicholson, and he shoots. Um, he's a like his partner. It was in like the. Like the, oh, what's it like the recruitment program? Aye, because when because it's a big reveal that there's two moles aye. in the police. Aye, yeah. Um, but also it turns out it's this other boy, but then he just shoots him in the head. Aye, but um, I mean he's obviously he's quite like calm and stuff, but like when he gets like aggravated, he comes across as like quite like defensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when he when Queen Anne dies, like Matt Mar- Mar- not happy at all. Aye. And uh, and he's obviously like Matt Damon's trying to find out who this undercover is and kins that fucking like the files are locked and only uh, Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen's character can the codes Aye. to get in and he's like, Kin, I need them or I want them. And like the two of the, the two of them are scrapping all that and like fucking Mark Wahlberg gets like chucked for like like two weeks, like suspension with pay and stuff, and he's like, "Ken, he's like, get me the codes," and I'm like, uh, "Al Bowen puts it perfectly, saying it's like, you didn't want them, you need them." Aye. And uh, I mean, like, I suppose it doesn't really show that much remorse killing Frank because he then finds out that Frank's a protected FBI informant. Right. I think kind of maybe that was in the. Um, possibly it, it, it's been a year again a, a few years since I've seen but he was also unaware of this and mm. that's why obviously he thinks that um, can everything that he's doing to help Frank as the reason why Frank's not in jail which but one's Frank is that Jack Nicholson Jack Nicholson's right aye, aye. but the, obviously the real reason that Frank's not in jail is because he's a protected FBI informant I mean he can get anybody up aye and, and you know happily no like suffer any anything for it aye exactly nothing will come back and then obviously because I think he kind of figures out that like Jack will eventually give him up 
he ends up like shooting. Well, the tomb can hear he shoot sort of thing, but then he just like shoots him dead. Aye, so that's it. I guess is this all near the end? Aye, because also well, it's about filmed over about two and a half hours, and um, aye, which is pretty standard now. I think maybe two hours into it, the uh, Nicholson gets killed. Yeah. So then it's like then it's half hour. So then obviously it when it comes down to the two of them, when um, uh, Costello dies, they then bring in uh, Leo's character because obviously Costello dies. There's no need for him to be undercover anymore. Like the entire oh. like mob's fucking wiped out. But obviously you can that Matt Damon's fucking been wanting for a good while. So mm. he's sitting in the office, and he gives him his security password to get into his file. And he's like, look, I'm going to go and get the paper to get you paid, and, uh, and you get your like, identity back and stuff. And then it isn't until he's in the room and he sees the envelope, where it's got his writing, it says, Aye. like, citizens or something, mm-hmm. and he can sit fucking... That Matt Damon's uh, is the, the mole. Exactly. Aye. So then he leaves and then he phones Matt Damon. And then that's when you get like the big like scuffle up on the roof. Aye. And this also you think that fucking Ken Leo's got his boy. Mm-hmm. And, and just as when the lift opens, he gets fucking shot in the head. Aye. By the other informant. Aye. That's it. <clears throat> Plays it. I, I, it sounds like it does play it the exact same way. I've recently just listened to another podcast where they compared both Infernal Affairs and The Departed, and the way they explained it is if they did, the ending played it differently, but that then, sounds um, identical. Obviously, before that, um, the Cabros character sends Matt Damon a CD with a recorded Aye. conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, Matt Damon's in the shower. And the psychiatrist ends up playing it, and mm-hmm. can hear the conversation between uh, Jack Nicholson and Matt Damon. Aye, and then all the chickens. Aye, the so she leaves, and like like she's pregnant, and towards the end of the film, but I don't think they answer any questions if Matt Damon's the dad or if Leo's right. dad because ah, like right. later on, like also later on in the film, like fucking she ends up sharing Leo. Aye, and yeah. that, so, but. So then he's like, obviously, after the funeral with Leo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Matt Damon comes back for his, like, shop or whatever, and he walks out of the carpet, it's got the X on it, and goes in the room, and uh, Mark Wahlberg's there, with like, a, a jumpsuit, and he's wearing, like, the wee shoe protector things you get. Aye, aye, like, if you're... Aye, you're aye, leave. Aye, footprints. Aye, aye, and he just, like, shoots him in the head. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this film won four awards as well. And the Oscars? Aye. Aye. Uh, aye. It got Best Picture, mm-hmm. Best Director, mm-hmm. um, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Editing. Right. Aye. Mark Wahlberg got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Aye. Um, which is a, a weird thing as well, because DiCaprio got nominated the same year for Best Actor in a different film, but not right. this one. Ah, Okay. Um, I think I was. I remember when the awards came around, and kind of I was I was like really high on the film at the time, and considering the list of films that I was going up against, I kind of really thought it wasn't like a 
type of film for like, the Academy to go for. Aye, aye. And I was kind of surprised because I think a lot of people thought that Scorsese should have got it a long time ago. Yes, aye, I think, I think it was, it was, I, they I, described I, it like the old and one. Aye, yeah. I, I, think he, he, I think he probably should have got it for Goodfellas. Exactly. Because a lot of people consider that like his best film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the fact that it got like best picture as well. Aye. It was like that's a few major ones, like director, mm. best picture. So and as, as weird as well the fact that like in a film that as a remake aye. got like so many awards, especially aye. like best director and best picture as well. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess it only really highlights like the how good the first one like the original is like yeah I think new you could still easily well not I was going to say you, you can't easily buy the first one but it is yeah. available in the UK on DVD and Blu-ray and right. the only reason it's probably still like that is because of The Departed as well yeah so but I, I can't remember whether the original like swept the board at, like say the Hong Kong mm. Film Awards but I'd imagine it would have aye uh, rewatchability. I think it's got a ton of rewatchability. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's fucking like really good. Eh? Aye. I think it's because of like, the the cat and mouse elements as well, and it's it it's a kind of fun where it kind of like it switched me on like Louis DiCaprio is like a like a really good actor. Aye. Because like you're saying, like you're in that kind of time where kind of fuck that gun for the Titanic. Aye. But. I mean, like, I mean, he done like films like before that. I mean, like Guns of New York was alright. Mm. It was a bit long, but I've only ever watched it once. So I really need. To I watch am that the again. exact same. I watched it once, and all I can remember about it is it's fucking long. Aye, and it's it's another like Irish, Irish mm-hmm. American, thing, but it's, it's set in New York as well. Yeah, and like I was looking through the cast of that, and it's like it's weird because like in this. And like that decade, his films consist of like Leo DiCaprio, like mm-hmm. Alan Baldwin, John C. Riley, and that. Whereas like in the seventies and eighties, it was fucking Bob De Niro. Aye. And all that. Aye, they can. Like. And it's fact that he's still using he's still using Leo DiCaprio in like a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this was. This would have been his third film with Leo DiCaprio. Aye. And then he went on and done. Shutter Island and Wolf. Yeah. Um, but I think the rewatch of is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I watched it yesterday and it was the, probably the first time I watched it in a couple of years. Aye. So there, there was a few bits in the film where I kind of forgot. And I, I think that's. And when rewatching these type of films, it pays off. Like You either pick up things you never noticed the first Aye. time or like you just like really appreciate a lot of scenes more. Yeah. Because there's, um, there's a scene where it's just after when uh, Martin Sheen's character dies and one of the like fucking like guys that works in the mob and that got shot. He uh, He's talking to Leo when he's like basically on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, he's like, I fucked up Ella. He's like, I phoned you and gave you the wrong address. To where we were supposed to be. It's mm-hmm. like, but how did you show up at the right address? Yeah. And you're the one that's always on time, but yet you were late. Aye. And I, and then I think he kind of figures out that, that in the car, was like the police informant. 
And then also went like, ah, I never picked up on that until I watched it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to say that's quite it's quite refreshing picking up on Aye. like we hints you kinda of missed before. Mm-hmm. I think I might have to actually no, I'm positive it's still in Sky. I'll no borrow your copy, but mm. I think I might fucking watch it tomorrow's night. Ah. And I mean it's as for it being on for two and a half hours, it's relatively easy because it, it's quite it just sticks you right in the middle in the first like five, ten minutes. Aye. Trivia? Um, I like I was saying earlier, trivia. There was a lot. Of, there was a lot of trivia notes, but a lot of it was all to do with like, like production and how we get the rights and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the like the trivia that I put down was a lot of trivia is revolving like people taking roles and not taking roles. Right, and right. I think there's maybe two trivia notes that were actually aimed like on the production. So. Um, Obviously, we talked about earlier about Martin Scorsese, didn't he? He did. He he didn't ken that it was a remake. All right. And ten affairs till after he agreed to direct it. Right. Okay. And I didn't think he watched it till after he finished. Yeah. Yeah. The film. Um. <clears throat> this was the third film to use uh, Rome Stone's Gimme Shower. All right. Uh, Goodfellas and Casino. Mm-hmm. Can't remember it in Casino, that's the thing. Aye. I really can't. Nah. It, it's a blur for the amount of yeah. Scorsese we've been taken. Yeah. Um, Bob, interestingly, Bob De Niro turned in the role of Queen Lynn, or Queen Anne, uh, due to play, taking a role in The Good Shepherd, roughly about the same year. Was that one he was directing himself as well I think I don't know and it was originally going to be starring Leo DiCaprio but because he wanted to do this role aye Matt Damon took the role aye this would have been interesting mm. Mel Gibson turned in the role uh, Ellerby alright to uh, do because he was in the middle of doing stuff for grind people sugar tits <laughs> nah he's in the middle of doing this stuff for fucking what do you call it He's Jesus Christ film. Ah, uh, yeah, Passion. Aye, Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Aye. And that would have been interesting, like, because Aye. I think... I think Alec Baldwin's character kind of goes a wee bit... Too far? No, nah, I think he goes a wee bit, like... What's the word of one for us? Ash, yeah, like, forgetful. Right. Like, I think it's quite a forgetful role, sort of thing. Aye, you kind of forget that he's, like, there. Yeah. Um, so I think that probably would have been interesting. And the other one I've got is Ray Liotta turned in the role uh, Sergeant Dignam. Right. Because that's, that's like another name that as you, like, you'd expect to come out the woodworks for it. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other one was that um, that that you probably wouldn't know because I've not seen the film, but um, Matt Damon and Andy Lau both were in The Great Wall. Great Wall, aye. Aye, oh, I was wondering, what if they ever fucking was, spoke about it? Because in the, in the remake, well, in the original, was Andy Lau... Matt Damon's character. Aye, aye. aye. So that's it, both, both playing the same role and then eventually end up in the same film together, yeah. working together. Ah, I wonder if they ever, like, brought that up. Aye. But, yeah. Um, you want to do your budget? Uh, aye, uh, budget, I've got... Domestic and what a way for this one. No, oh, I. And the budget on this was a nice wee ninety million dollars. Not too bad. Um, 
Domestically, what do you think it took? A uh, hundred. Uh, a wee bit. A bit more than that. 132 in ah, the good. States and Canada. And it took 157 million worldwide. Ah, I would imagine so it, it taking a bit more. So it took a total of 289. And I mean, it made 200 million, so. Mm, that's... But on the notes as well, though, was it? That ninety million budget, almost fifty percent of that was like wages for like say like well, Janica sending Leo to crap. Exactly, and all like that. you've got like, uh, fucking a lot of big hitters in this. Aye, film. like all the news about fucking Mark Wahlberg nowadays. I was getting trouble for that. Uh, that uh, yeah, all yeah. the money in the world was obviously just for Mark Wahlberg <laughs> to come back and shoot extra scenes. He's got one point five million. Eh? Yep, and, and yet the lassie got one thousand dollars. Yeah, aye, That's a mad. day. Mad. Um, I'm going to quickly look through my one-star reviews I saved this morning. I feel that's a familiar username. Like when we read enough of these one-star uh, reviews, Music Man actually sounds like quite a, a memorable username. All of a sudden, can you actually like click on like that? I think you can and get the review history. All right, I'll read it first. Uh, not for Mr. Average by Music Man. If you're a fan of filthy innuendos and disgusting swearing at every verse, at every verse end, then this is a film for you. If not, give it a wide berth. <laughs> I'm clicking on his name. I need to oh, see. Nah, that's a it's screenshot. a screenshot. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, aye, I guess. Not for Mr. Average. Yeah. And the other one that I got was uh, from Donna K. And this is like a, this is a recent review. This is like 2015. Right. Threw it in the bin. It didn't work. And it was scratched to fuck. Fuck's sake. <laughs> I know. It's always that kind that actually just hates the, the fucking copy they've received. I know. All right. And that's us, is it? That is us. Okay. Uh, next time on the Films and Swear Movie Podcast, we will be getting into... The, the tens, the yeah, teens, the teens. I, um, Mike, you will be covering Shutter Island, and I shall be going for Silence. I, I think I'm gonna go for Silence because Wolf of Wall Street's too big. I feel like that's Aye. that's too big as well. Because then that would be like that's pretty much four podcasts. Last no, four films covering Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. Aye, and silence is something completely different. Aye. That's like a passion Summon, project. Something I've still never, never See, seen. Eh? I've, so. I've watched it once, and I, I wouldn't. I, I don't mind watching it again. So Aye. I'm Aye. happy to have a forget, look at that forget one. Forget time. I might kind of waiting for it to like just pop on fucking Netflix, but I might just look. It's on still on Amazon the news, so I reckon if it's just a case of mm. maybe they've, they've got rights with them, and when it Aye. falls off. Of Amazon, or falls off the Prime, it might fucking show up on, yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. I searched Scorsese last week on Netflix, and it's still just your main main streets, main streets uh, George Harrison documentary, and something else. Aye. But yeah, so Shutter Island and Silence will be the the fifth out of our now six. Aye. Scorsese podcast. We are going to finish our Scorsese season with a Twitter poll. We'll reveal the 
the candidates at the end of next week's episode. Yeah. Give you the opportunity to vote for which one you want us to go back and revisit. Uh, other than that, shop on Amazon through filmsandswearing.com. The link's on our homepage. I keep fucking forgetting to do that. Every time I shop on Amazon, I always forget. <laughs> and I only, rem- only ever remember it has been you fucking plug Mention on it. Thursday. Aye. That's it. You need, you need to remember that one in the future. I know. Get bookmarked. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to do it if it's there and then that's your Amazon link but um, you could always support us on Patreon as well um, I, someone I know, like pronounced it the other day is like shit have I been I've been calling it Patron but it does have ah, an E yeah, on I've, it I've listened to a couple of podcasts and they, Patreon ah, Patreon eh. it's like okay fuck have I been crying I generally it thought it was called Patreon yeah aye I don't if it's just the difference of people over pronouncing it or not yeah but um, I, I, I did a, a commentary to the Royal Rumble this right. Monday, so that's on there. Um, was it a live? Well, was it wasn't a live bit. Was it a commentary while it was playing? Yes, I. All right. I, I got. I'm assuming up. you had it muted. Hey, I had it on a low volume, so when I had my headphones, on, I couldn't really hear it anyway. Yeah. And I noticed I was shouting the TV a lot. Because there's a scene, uh, it's John Cena and Roman Reigns were fighting. And what I heard afterwards was the crowd chanting, you both suck. Uh. And they're kind of standing around looking at the crowd. I'm sitting with headphones on with no volume. And it's like, what are you looking at? Fucking fight! Fight! What are you staring at? Go on, <laughs> just fuck each other already! I'm getting like really aggro at the fact they're just fucking standing there, fucking huffing and heaving. Like, come on then, uh. throw a fist! So that's that's a, an hour and eleven minutes. I'm sitting there talking to myself, <laughs> like, and it's, wow. I'm saying weird shit. I get lost. I start getting text messages from my mum asking me how do I look for a film on Netflix. And I'm sitting texting. <laughs> and me, you're like fucking throw a fastball, yeah. Ah, and I'm like texting her back, and there's a search function. It's like, how well, how do I find the search function? And then I just chuck my phone across the room because then Margaret texts me, say, go and have a look in the attic for someone. And I'm like. Could you? I'm fucking doing the Royal Rumble here. I just launched my phone, <laughs> so that's on there. I, I last time I checked, we've got maybe eighteen hours worth of like additional podcast content uh, on there. Um, so you could access that from as small as one pound, like everything for like a quid. So yeah. that's there. Uh, that helps us pay off all these cunts for pay to do things for us, like theme tunes and possible. Yeah. introductions and hopefully support us for the fucking Edinburgh Film Festival when that comes up when is that again? June or June. July no aye the programme comes out in May and then the show kicks off in July alright cool so it'll probably need to be a Wednesday Thursday we'll see yeah we'll, that's how my role I kind of alright we'll have a look at what works. films are showing those days and then aye. we'll plan it Um. Social media, search FAS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you will find us. Other than that, let's pull up the theme music. Right, so shout outs to Kerry, Carol, Max, to everyone for Patreon that's supporting us. David Lopan for this theme music. Uh, Paul London for our artwork and ladies and gentlemen... That's it. It's the end of another episode. The end of another Films and Swearing. So, fuck off and tune in next week. Cool.